welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, my name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James. Welcome to the latest podcast brought to you by the team at Hugh James. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Kathleen Hannessy. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Alan. Danielle Vincent. Hi, Danny. Hi, Alan. And finally, but by no means least, Hannah Hodgson. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Alan. Right. So in this podcast, we're going to be talking about the media reports that hundreds of sex offenders are going missing in the UK. But before we get underway with this podcast, let me remind you that the content of this podcast may be troubling, upsetting, and we don't want you being unnecessarily distressed. So if you think that you may end up being upset by the content of this podcast, then please turn off and go away in the nicest possible way and do something else, make yourself a cup of coffee, cup of tea, whatever. Otherwise, please do stay with us. So according to the BBC, hundreds of UK sex offenders are going missing and effectively they are slipping off the radar. So sex offenders are supposed to be on a register when they get sentenced. The whole idea is that by being on the register, everyone needs to know knows where they are. So it's obviously troubling and something's going wrong if sex offenders are going missing. So that's a brief intro to what we're going to be talking about. And I'm going to hand over to Hannah, who's going to tell us a little bit more about how the story has come to light and what some of the issues are. Yeah, thanks, Alan. So as you mentioned, it has been in the news recently that hundreds of sex offenders across the UK have essentially gone missing over a three-year period. According to BBC, 45 police forces have revealed that a total of 729 sex offenders have gone missing or wanted for arrest between 2019 and 2021. So what has essentially been happening, how these sex offenders have gone missing is by name change. So they haven't been able to be located. Well, so some of them have done name changes, but not all of them. Yeah, that's right. So the BBC have shared data that has released that 1,500 sex offenders notified the police forces of lawful name changes. And we've actually seen through the report that some offenders have been able to be doing this whilst in prison by paying an admin fee of only £15 for them to do it themselves, which is quite shocking that they've been able to do this whilst in prison. And obviously there's been outrage about this and, you know, people believe that they shouldn't be able to change their names and escape the authorities. MPs are due to, to discuss the issue. So Danny can help us on this. But basically what happens is, isn't it, Danny, that when a sex offender is convicted, they get their sentence sent to prison for X years or whatever it happens to be. They are required to sign the sex offenders register and... Obviously, by signing the sex offenders register, they're using the name that they had when they were sentenced. And I think you, Danny, you can help explain what has been happening with some of these 
characters, which has enabled them to disappear. As you rightly say, both Hannah and Alan, people can quite easily change their name. I mean, firstly, just touching on that, I think if you are a survivor or victim and you know that somebody can change their name repeatedly, I think that would make you feel very anxious, especially, you know, there may be some restrictions on where this person is released to initially, but as an individual that has had an offence against them, I think that would make you feel quite unsafe. Also, naturally, you you know, in the dating world and things like that these days, people do Google their new partner's name, there's Sarah's Law and all these different other things that have come into place. But but you're still searching the perpetrator's name. There's no clear link here. Yeah, and as you say, Alan, basically, it's very easy to change your name. And at the moment, we've all been discussing as a team, the only thing that stays the same throughout your life is your national insurance number. So unless checks are being done against that, it's quite difficult to keep track on people, I think. Yeah, so let's run through this, Daddy Kathleen. So there's no law that says that you can't change your name. So if you're Fred one day, there's nothing to stop you saying the following day, I'm now going to be called, I don't know, Herbert or whatever it happens to be. So there's no actual law that says you can't change your name. That's the current position. So there isn't anything that says that a sex offender can't change their name. What they're supposed to do is tell the the police that they've changed their name. Lots of people that we um, have come across in our years of representing survivors and victims is that perpetrators often use different names. They have aliases, you know, it's quite a, it's not uncommon. So, you know, Fred may be known as Fred, but his real name might be John, or might also have been known as Chris, Tony, whatever. And they're supposed to give all that kind of information to the police. And when things go, start to go wrong, is when they decide that they're going to have a yet another name or a new name. And that's where the problem lies. They, You know, if you think about it, we all of us have come across cases where the abuser has literally disappeared and no one knows where they've gone. There's no record of them having died. So everyone has to assume that they are still alive. Sometimes the police are able to track them down because they get access to their national insurance number. And then they find that Matey is living on the other side of the world, drawing their state pension. And that's how they get caught and brought back to the UK to be prosecuted. Anyway, so what do you think, Kathleen and Danny, about my suggestion, which I have raised with the powers that be, that the national insurance number is is used as opposed to a name. Yeah, I, I mean, Alan, I think that makes perfect sense. And, you know, as we've talked about before, from a practical point of view, that it would work, you know, if somebody was tracked via their national insurance number rather than their name, because it can't change. The national insurance number is, is yours forever, and you need to use it for a variety of things, jobs, benefits, housing, etc. So it would only be a circumstance where somebody who was really committed to ensuring they weren't found and therefore essentially is so-called living off the grid, I suppose, you know, no bank account, cash in hand, et cetera, they wouldn't be able to be tracked. I think, you know, the thing to remember here too is we're talking about 
really devious people. (laughs) And I think one of the things that really struck me from the information about this whole topic was that offenders were changing their name while in prison. You know, I have to think that if you're in prison for committing a, a child sex offense and you're making a point of changing your name while you're still in prison, perhaps there's an entirely innocent reason for that, which is that, you know, you're completely repentant for your crime and you're never going to do it again and you want to start a new life. But I think we should be realistic and assume that these people are deviants, they're predators, and they're doing that because they want to be able to reoffend when they get out and do it without being detected. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think there's a number of steps that could be taken by the politicians to mitigate this problem. Uh, you know, it'd be naive to think there's always going to be a 100% effective solution if you're going to allow sex offenders to serve their sentence and be released. So, you know, the 100% solution, I suppose, is that they're never released. But if you're going to have a system that allows them to be released, mm. you've, you've got to appreciate there will always be the risk that someone is so determined, as yeah. you say, they will go off the grid, you know, that they're prepared to live this other world experience where they will never work legitimately they will Mm. never claim their pension they will never claim benefits they will never access a bank account and so on so you know we've got to be realistic then there will always be the risk that there will be individuals like that but to mitigate the risk no they shouldn't be allowed to change their name and allied to that is the fact that i really do not see why they can't be tracked using their national insurance number Yeah, I would say one thing that I've just thought of after you saying about perpetrators being deviant is that a lot of our clients, especially that we deal with, come forward perhaps when other people have come forward and things have hit the press. For example, Mm -hmm. especially when there's been cases against Coach Barry Bernal, there was significant numbers of individuals, but all of the individuals that were abused most of them didn't come forward until they did because they thought they were the only one. Now, if someone like Barry Benalla changed his name every 10 years or something, would we now have the amount of survivors have come forward? Probably not, because what people do is they they jump onto their computer now and Google the name of their abuser. Lots of our clients do that. One, it's a way of them safely knowing lots of our clients do it to find out whether that person's died and they finally feel that relief that this person's not going to come back and hurt them again but also to see if anybody else has been brave enough to come forward and it gives your client the strength to come forward and I think that may be a real reason why people are devious and continue to change their name. Danny on that point sorry Alan to cut across you there he did in fact change his name Barry Bennell to Richard Jones but you know, his name was so well known and he was abused so many that people were able to find him by the name Barry Bennell. But I mean, I think that in and of itself, I think such a great point, Danny. I mean, we have somebody who they think is essentially the most prolific pedophile in, in British history who was able to change his name. You know, how can that possibly be? And, you know, I mean, not that our clients couldn't change their names, but, you know, it's a life sentence for the victims as well you know, I think they need to be punished. And so it should be a life sentence for them in terms of they're stuck with their name forever. Yeah, I completely agree, Kathleen. Why should they be able to change their name and, you know, run away from from what's happened when the victim can't? I I completely agree with you. I think think they should not be allowed to. This idea that I don't think is 
really going to make much difference, which is, oh, well, you punish them if they change their name and they don't tell the police. But if they're so determined, they're not going to take any notice of that. What has to happen is, is stopping it from happening in the first place. Punishing after the event probably isn't going to make much difference to these people. What is going to make a difference is stopping them from doing it in the first place or making it too difficult for them to change their name. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think just thinking about, you know, from like a human rights perspective, I could imagine that there'll be a lot of pushback or against completely prohibiting sex offenders from changing their name. But there, I think if that's the case, there certainly can be other kind of creative ways of designing legislation that would mean, you know, you have to have two witnesses in order to change your name. Perhaps those witnesses need to be DBS checked. Like there, ha- there is some other mechanism that can be used if, if this is going to become, you know, a significant human rights issue that well, the law sure, is, cr- is crafted in such a way to, to yeah, that we can, we can some, stop it happening. Even some other procedure where they are still in some way linked to their old name. I'm, I'm not sure how, but yeah, as you're saying, Kathleen, maybe it's it's a case of changing the process as opposed to, you know, not allowing them to do it at all. I don't I don't know. I was just gonna say that that previous paralegal Felina and I, we discussed when people come out on parole and breach their license and, and things like that, and the balance between the rights of someone who's offended being rehabilitated. But actually, you know, when people are rehabilitated, normally they come out on license with a number of restrictions specific to, to them. And that perhaps if you have been convicted of a sexual related conviction, that you have to disclose all of your names that you've had. The national insurance element is is the one thing at the moment, but it doesn't mean that in the future that that element will not potentially change, especially when we've looked at other things that are happening at the moment where people are going through transgender processes and things like that, when all of your other details are changing, this could become a a more problematic position if people are able to change their national insurance number or doctor it. I mean, you know, these people are devious, as you say. But their problem is, is if they want to draw their benefits or their pension or have a bank account or secure legitimate employment, they have to use their, the national insurance number that they're given when they're a kid. Yeah, I, I think like we just really can't emphasize enough kind of the level of, of deviousness that we're talking about here. I mean, in my first Jehovah's Witness case, as you rightly point out, Danny, with the Barry Bunnell stuff, it only so happened that, well, his first victim that we know of in that congregation came forward because she saw his name in, in a BBC article. But when you try and, I mean, he's died now, but when you, you Google him, you do loads of research on him, investigative reporters have done this, they can find no information about this guy or very, very little. And it's likely that he probably changed his name and, and potentially had previous convictions. So, you know, this is a real thing. We're not just kind of being dramatic, I think, is the point I'm trying to make to listeners about how devious these people are. One thing that was really concerning that was raised in the BBC article was was how when, when people have changed their names and they can apply for new ID documents, they could potentially be getting jobs with children with that new ID. It obviously just poses so much risk. It just doesn't make sense that this is being allowed to happen. And this is then reliant on the safeguarding checks within the organisation that that individual is going. If it's at school, is it a nursery? Is that person supposed to be living a certain distance from the school, but they've changed their name, you know, so actually they can get a tenancy agreement. There's lots of issues in regards to 
not them, but then other organisations checking the background to make sure that this person is safe. So it's really difficult. Indeed. And on that potentially contentious note, it would be interesting to see what the politicians choose to do, if anything at all, about this serious, very serious problem. Mm. So it just remains to me to thank you for listening and to thank my colleagues, Danny, Hannah and Kathleen. So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And bye, guys. Thanks. And as always, please do tune in to our next podcast. And if you have any suggestions for future podcasts, please do get in touch. Likewise, if you have any questions or comments, we would be pleased to hear from you. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favourite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.